With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe-Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Leslie Honoré's poetry has gone viral, but the mission behind the work is bigger than likes or shares. Leslie is committed to helping others find and use their voices that shows up in her writing and in the work she has spent almost two decades doing in her Chicago community. And much of that ethos is shaped by Leslie's own experience as a Blacksican woman, a single mom, and a believer in the power of connection. Leslie, thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. It's just such an honor to be asked. Thank you. What is the first poem you ever wrote? I think the first poem I ever wrote was something in first grade. And I think it was about a bird. And my dad helped me practice it and do it for a talent show for my very Catholic school. Um, (laughs) You know, there was always a good talent show in Catholic schools. And was there anyone who said, ooh, this girl has it? My seventh grade teacher was like, you're a really good writer. And I was like, that's nice. And my mom and dad told me I had to be an attorney or a doctor. And then in high school, I had some really great teachers who were like, no, this is what you should do. This is really, really good. I thought about it from there, like, well, maybe it's something. Maybe I could do this. Maybe I could be a writer like the writers I love. Um, And then it just kind of unfolded when I got to college. Um, And there were so many people that were so supportive of my writing and poetry um, and just teaching me how to be in that space um, and and just tap into what I wanted to say authentically and kind of tune out what a lot of the other influences are, um, you know, other writers. I think growing up in the 90s, I wanted to talk about identity a lot. 
I mean, it wasn't until the late 90s until we even had something in the census that allowed you to be biracial. So I would always get the questions, what are you? What are you? Um, You know, just very rude comments, often feeling not enough of one or the other, not feeling Black enough, not feeling Mexican enough. So I wrote a lot about my identity and, and how I felt. Your dad is Black. He's from New Orleans. Your mom, born in Mexico, immigrated here when she was 15. How did those cultures, how are they playing out at home? It's lovely. I love that my kids identify as Afro-Latino and that they even have that term to identify with. Mm. My oldest daughter, who is brown, and we talk about how we are our mirror images of each other's experience, where I fought a lot to inform people of my identity as a Black woman. She does the opposite to inform people of her Latinidad. And mm-hmm. so we talk about that a lot. And she really pushes me to see how the world sees me and how the world sees her and how they see her as Black first and how they typically see me as Latina first. And what does that mean about how we move in spaces? Mm-hmm. It's a celebratory household. I think I get that from both of my cultures. We do ofrenda for Dia de los Muertos and then we have gumbo for New Year's. We are very lucky to be able to to tap into so many different parts of us. How would, did it play out, though, when you were growing up? Oh, my parents didn't talk about race. It was not a forward conversation probably until the Rodney King riots. And I would think I was a sophomore mm-hmm. in high school. And my father at the time was working um, for the LAPD. And so we we did not have a, a, a conversation the way I have with my kids about race, ethnicity, identity, how the world sees you, what to be prepared for. And then maybe around my sophomore year in high school, right before the riots, I was doing a lot of reading and read the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I say that that radicalized me, that very much flipped on my activism button that has never been turned off since then. And pretty much in succession, um, then the riots happened. And, And stuff was bubbling in LA before Rodney King. There was a lot of tension between Black and Korean communities in in Los Angeles. And so it wasn't something that that happened, you know, out of nowhere. It it definitely was a rise that shifted a lot, that shifted a conversation. Like, I never knew my dad was locked in his apartment during the Watts riots. We had never had that conversation before. And my, my mom is that quiet, you know, strength that looks meek to people, but it's just very... Like I've lived through hell and back and I don't have to prove it to you. So she's just very, and she's tiny. I'm not, (laughs) I'm like five foot nine and I wear a 16 and I I take up a lot of space when I come into my room and my mom is completely opposite of that. Um, She's like five foot two, just insane. When we, when I did start to ask questions, she was like, there's, there's nothing for you to ask questions about You're Mexican. And I was like, right. Like there isn't. But when it came to my Black identity, there's so much more learning that had to take place there and nuances of what it means to be Black in America. Being Black in America has so much more of a a span when we talk about, you know, slavery and the different places in Africa that people came from. 
in the different tribes and the different languages and in the different places the boat stopped, whether it was in the Caribbean or whether it was here in the United States. And then all the nuances that come from that, the subtleties from staying in the South or being in the Midwest or Northern or Western or Gullah, all of that is a, a huge experience of Blackness that can't be pinpointed to, to one place, one language, one culture. What happened when you stepped out into the world armed with this sense of self and this information? It was transformative. I think going to an historically Black university, specifically in New Orleans, where there are Black people who, you know, are lily white, but are Black and don't deny their Blackness. And in my family, we have every shade of Black you can imagine on that spectrum. It was the first time that no one ever questioned my Blackness. It was like, yeah, you're Black. What else? And I could just express it. And it was so liberating. And I could explore other parts of myself. I could give in freely to writing about love or political topics. Of course, they're seen through my lens, but it was the place that that made me a woman, that, that where I coined my, my term of Blacksican. I love seeing it now. I, I hated saying this and that. Um, and going, oh, well, what goes first? What has that priority? And, you know, what gets hyphenated? But I wish I would have, you know, trademarked it. There's tons of Blacksican people now. There's like a, a Blacksican Instagram page with lots of people from Los Angeles who, you know, identify as, as such. So it's been, it's been great. Like I said, this was way before we had Afro-Latina. Does Afro-Latina resonate for you? I don't think it resonates for me as much as it does for my kids because their Africanness is very much more forward than their Latina. Um, I just love that we're finding ways to explain what I think I've been trying to explain to people. Like, they're Black people who speak Spanish all over the world. They're Black people everywhere. It's, you know, that's what the slave trade did. It stole people and brought them to other places. And that's where they live now. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. 
And if you're in the LA area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the ball is filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind. Take me back then to 1999. You moved to Chicago, $400 in your pocket, no job, no place to live. What was the plan? Oh, I did not have one. I was such like a crunchy granola, barefoot on stage, broomstick wearing, incense burning. It's going to be okay. Patchouli oil smelling. I did not have a plan. I stayed with friends. Um, and this is what I tell my children. You have a plan and you know that your plan may not work out, but you have to have a plan. <laughs> I didn't have one. Um, and so it was OK. Like I was like, you know, 21 and floating around and then met my ex-husband and got pregnant. And I was like, you know, I'm I'm going to have this baby. And so when my ex-husband asked me to marry him, even though I knew it was not a good idea, like I had originally thought about going and doing Peace Corps and just strapping my baby on my back and building wells and schools. I said, yes. And we got married. And very soon I found myself in a verbally and emotionally abusive marriage and was in it for 11 years until he left. And that was a very dark period in my life. I stopped writing just a decade of, of no poems. Um, my kids were my poems. Like I hyper-focused on being a mom, hyper-focused on protecting them from, you know, what was happening and building a family in Chicago that was out of friends and, and really deep connections here, which is why I stayed in Chicago. The city has given me a resiliency that I don't think I would have gotten anywhere else. And I love it. I love what it's, it's given me a career. It's giving me the sisters that I didn't get from blood. It's given me purpose. It's, it's a, a beautiful, broken, gorgeous city. It stands out to me that we all know you as a poet, but I mean, you also have this whole other professional life where you're doing nonprofit work in Chicago for almost 20 years. And part of what I find striking about what you just said is that as I understand it, so much of the core ethos of your work is about empowering young people to find their voice. And yet you spent 11 years losing your own voice or feeling like it was squashed in that marriage. How did you reconcile these two things that on one hand, you're pulling other people's voices out of them and you're losing your own. 
So during that period, I was just I was just working in service. Like it it wasn't I hadn't mm-hmm. made that connection yet. That connection really did not come until after my ex-husband left. I mean, I say the two greatest things he gave me were my kids and leaving. Um, because I think when you're in that cycle of abuse, it's very scary to figure out how do I get out? I didn't see myself as strong. I didn't see myself as having an ability to be a single mom of raising these kids. I, I didn't see that. So it was, it was, it was terrifying to try and imagine it. But when he left, one of the first things I started to do again was go to open mics and I wouldn't perform. I wouldn't read. I would just sit in the back and let it all wash over me. I would listen. I would go every Thursday. My um, friend Dina, Dina Dean and Celeste had an open mic at a vegan restaurant. I'm so vegetarian here in Chicago. And I, it was my therapy. I went Mm -hmm. religiously every Thursday at seven o'clock. And slowly I would be like, oh, that's a crappy poem. And then I'd be like, why? You can't call somebody's poem crappy. You're not writing any. (laughs) So it was like this inner conversation I was having with myself. And then very slowly the words came again. And my kids at the time were 11, 8, and 2. And I think had they been any older, I don't know how we would have recovered. Like those ages... I'm grateful that it happened when it happened. Um, it was really hard. It was horrible. My my ex-husband changed the passwords on our bank accounts. I wasn't working at the time. I just left a job and paid off bills with my, like, whatever they gave me. Just like, here's your vacation time in four weeks. Wasn't working. He tried to take the car. I had no access to money. Like, as most abusers do, he was going to prove to me that I needed him. And I had an amazing bunch of women here in Chicago who just swarmed in. Like they made sure we were fed until my unemployment kicked in. They made sure my kids got back and forth to school, that they didn't miss anything. Um, And slowly I pulled myself out of that. And, And what I realized as that was happening was the difference between my ability to succeed and recover and my kids' ability to recover and be okay. I didn't know how they were going to be okay. I just knew they would was because I was educated and I had access to resources. I knew people who could tell me where to go, where to be, how to maneuver, what to ask for. And I knew the people who lived in my neighborhood did not. And that slowly informed how I wanted to shift my career and where I spent time when I wasn't with my kids. And so that meant often taking a lot of lower paying jobs, which shouldn't be lower paying jobs in case management and working with um, the mentally ill in Chicago, working with the YMCA, but it was always programs that meant more than a check. I was helping somebody. I was laying the foundation and it really wasn't until maybe 2016, where I started to look for ways to incorporate my own passion Mm -hmm. into my profession. And I have been really ridiculously lucky to have an avenue to do that and to work with youth and see the empowerment that it gives them, you know, specifically because I'm a poet, poetry, to write however you want to write 
with no rules but your own. I mean, there's all types of different, you know, types of poetry. You can do a haiku or a sonnet, but in free verse, like, it doesn't have to rhyme. You don't have to have punctuation. You don't have to capitalize. There's no form other than what you want it to be. And that freedom to brown and black kids who are constantly being told that what they have isn't enough, that what they aspire to, they will never get. For them to be able to say what the hell that they want to say, however they want to say it and share it, watching that take place was just amazing. Your poem, Brown Girl, Brown Girl, really put you on the map. It's when a lot of people first became aware of your writing. What went into writing it? So I love talking about that because who knew? You never know what the vehicle is that is going to take you somewhere. So I had started putting my poetry in social media around 2016 when we first started to see that summer of police brutality with immediacy because of social media. I started to write and one of my girlfriends was like, you should make this public. People would like it. I'm like, nobody's going to read poetry on Facebook. And guess what? They freaking did. Um, so um, I wrote like crazy over that summer and then did a Kickstarter campaign to self-publish my first book of poetry, Fist and Fire. And it was just such a a village book. Like in the book, the, the last couple of pages are everyone who donated to the Kickstarter because they helped birth that book. My best friend did the cover. It's a it's a special thing. And Brown Girl was in is it in Fist and Fire. And I was writing a lot about being the mother of a black boy who at the time was 13 and had just hit like was he was as tall as I was, five foot nine. And I knew that was a shift. He wasn't going to be seen as a little boy anymore. And he I remember one time he rode a skateboard to the corner store and the police followed him. And he came back home and he was just like, I don't know what they did. They were going slow next to me, mommy. And I don't know why. And so I started writing a lot about that. And then we lost Tamir and we lost Trayvon and we lost um, Mike Brown. And so I was writing very heavily about the trauma of being a mother to a Black son. And Sage, my, my oldest daughter, who was every bit her name, was like, hey, hey, this is great. This is really great. I don't see my story in here. Where are we? And I was like, oh, crap, I suck. And I wrote two poems out of that conversation. I wrote And the Light Dims, which talks about colorism. And I wrote Brown Girl and kind of walked away from it. And a lot of people told me they loved it. And, but that was that book in 2017. Then when Vice President Kamala Harris was elected, I was, was in the car and I, I write a lot immediately. If it's something is happening in the world, I write about it that day, that hour, that minute. The quicker I can get it out is my sweet spot at how I connect with people. My daughter was in the car with me and she was like, pull over. You know you want to write about this. And I did. And I just kept thinking about Brown Girl and all of the Brown Girls who were, who were seeing this moment and what it meant. And I just did a couple of changes on the poem. And then there was a picture of Vice President Harris and her great niece, Mina Harris, is one of Mina Harris's daughters, sitting on her lap. And I remember the caption 
about Mina's daughter telling her great aunt that she wanted to be, I think, the president and an astronaut or something like that. And so that's the picture I used. I just was like, this this is a perfect picture. And I posted it and look at where we are now. Like would have had no clue, none. I think NPR covered the story first when the principal in Brooklyn was having her kids recite it. Brown girl, brown girl, what do you see? First I'm crying, and then I'm like, NPR, it's my poem. Please credit me. Please let people know this is please, 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 just 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 at me. You don't even have to like just tag me. That's it. You want to run the story? Here's her headshot. Here's the stuff that she's done. This is what you can link into. And like, so grateful for that because they did. I think this is politics added like my picture and they added my book and they linked my social media. And then Mina retweeted it. And then I'm like crying and snotting and ugly face like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Just losing it. And it's just been so so beautiful. But I think the most amazing thing out of Brown Girl is opportunities like this. And I I don't know why this is. I always say I'm Black and Mexican. This is the first time in over 20 years of writing as an adult that I've been asked to talk about being Latina. Just being able to have that conversation like, I'm Latina too. I'm first generation you don't get more American than my story. My story is both of the people who occupied this country and the people who were stolen and built this country. This is my freaking America. And I talk about it a lot. Um, so I'm so grateful for that because it is never, I've never had an opportunity to talk about that part of me before. What types of opportunities then did the virality open up for you? It got me a literary agent, Johanna Castillo, with Writer's House, like, reached out to me, was like, do you want to be represented? And I'm like, are you crazy? I've been, this has been on my manifestation list for as long as I can think of. And the fact that she is a brown woman and an immigrant from Ecuador, like, did God just say, let me find the exact right person for her? I truly believe the universe sends you what you're ready for. I'm ready for it now. And I'm dreaming bigger. Like every time I hear a cheesy commercial for a Nike commercial, I'm like, I could have written you a much better, like 15 second spot, you know, like Olympics, please call me. I want children's books. I want books of poetry. I want speaking engagements. I love my work in equity. I would really, really love to do this full time. I would love to be able to support myself and my kids and know that I can you know, continue to pay for everyone's college by just doing poetry and talking. I love a good panel. I love a good keynote. And you found your voice. What is the advice you give to someone who is struggling to find theirs? It's not gone. It's, it's just there. I, I don't have a fancy, um, writing process. A lot of my poems I write in the bathroom on the toilet with the door closed because as you can see my life just continues to happen. Also like 
Apple people, hello, if you're listening, I wrote my whole book, Fist and Fire, on my phone in my notes app. Your commercials with people taking big, huge pictures, a whole book, notes app, call me, (laughs) call me. I share it from my phone. I save it in my phone. I edit it on my phone. Um, there, There are lots of tools that we have, especially for writing, that you can do it anywhere and everywhere and you don't have to share it. But there is something about writing that is so cathartic and is such a a release. Writing down your intentions makes them real. My dad used to tell me before he passed that, you know, if you write something down, your mind, the world, the universe will find a way to make it happen. And every list I've had about what I wanted to come true, it has happened or really close to it. Like my list for... Before I turned 44, I want to be on the Today Show. I was on Good Morning America and Nightline. Like, right there. I still want to talk to Hoda, though, and Al Roker. <laughs> I really like them. Just, just write it down, no matter how silly or foolish, no matter how scary or angry or embarrassing or hurtful. Just write it down. It's, it's something about being able to command your own language, that shifts it. And you will see it show up in other places. Leslie, I really needed that right now. Thank you so much. Oh, I want to hug you so bad. Why is it COVID? Why are we so far away? Why are we not in the studio close? We'll do a do-over in the post-COVID world. Leslie, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. What a, a dream this was. I'm just... Thank you for checking one more thing off of my, my list of things I want to do. Thank you for joining us. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantiqua Williams and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our senior producer. Our lead producer is Cedric Wilson. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer. Manuela Bedoya is our social media editor and ad ops lead. We love hearing from you when you email us at hola at latinatolatina.com, when you slide into our DMs on Instagram, when you tweeted us at Latina to Latina. Remember to subscribe, follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening. And please, I know I ask this all the time, but do leave a review. It is one of the fastest, easiest ways to help us grow. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.